0: Do you love early intervention, but feel like you need more mentorship and information to thrive in this setting?
1: We're here to provide a safe, inclusive community where we learn from and uplift one another. It's our mission to prepare students and practitioners
2: to be confident and competent working in early intervention. Hi, I'm Amira Johnson.
0: I'm Danielle DiLorenzo.
2: And I'm Sarah Putt. And together, we're the real OTs of early intervention. Hey, Danielle, how are you today?
0: Cold, but I'm doing all right. (laughs) How about you, Amira? How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. I'm actually thinking about what I want to have for lunch today. We had fajitas last night, and I'm really excited to go heat those up in in a little bit. (laughs) How are you, Sarah?
2: I'm doing really well, and I am so ready for this topic today because I'm going to admit that it is one of my soapbox. So I have a feeling we have a lot of information that we have to share about container syndrome. And we're probably going to be doing multiple episodes about this. So today, we're really going to just dive in about what is container syndrome, what's considered a container, why it can be potentially harmful, and some other considerations that we need to keep in mind and be mindful of when we're working with our clients. And we'll be doing some follow-up episodes that will dive deeper into tips and tricks and strategies and really our role as an occupational therapy practitioner to support the children and their families throughout their development. But before we start, first, let's hear from our sponsor.
1: This episode is brought to you by Marvelous Miracles OT, a platform created to empower and equip families and therapists with the tools and resources to help little miracles fulfill big dreams.
2: So like I mentioned in the intro, container syndrome is a bit of a soapbox for me and it is something that I have seen time and time and time again throughout my practice with a ton of different kids that I've worked with. And if any of my previous students are listening to this episode, they know that I could talk about this forever and ever and ever. And there's so much that can really be said. But really today, we want to focus on the how, the what, and the why behind container syndrome and really the importance of it as occupational therapy practitioners. Now, I do want to start at the beginning of this episode with a little disclaimer that when we're talking about container syndrome and and container specifically, I am not talking about specific medically necessary assistive devices that certain kiddos might need, maybe for a diagnosis or other reasons that they that they might need this piece of equipment. So what we're really going to focus on today is how other containers or other forms of equipment can potentially be harmful for a child's development. So to kick it off, I wanted to kind of highlight what container syndrome is. Cause I think the first time I heard it, I was like, what? There's a term for this? Like I had been seeing it for years and I had been educating my parents and my families about it, but I actually hadn't heard the term container syndrome before. And then all of a sudden it popped on my radar and I was like, stop, just stop everything I didn't realize that this actually had a term that we used for it. So when we're talking about container syndrome, we're really talking about when a baby or a small child spends way too much time confined in a device, maybe like a car seat or a stroller, walker, bouncer, something like that, that is limiting their ability to move. It limits their freedom to explore the environment on their own. So Amira, I want to know, what does container syndrome mean to you? When you hear those words.
1: So similar to you, Sarah, I had no idea that this had a particular name, but I knew that I had talked to families and especially during like that first session or the evaluation when we say, what does your daily routine look like? And just kind of hearing how much time the kiddos are spending in the containers and realizing that it really adds up throughout the day. So let's say, you know, they are in a car ride and so they're in their car seat for a little over an hour a day and then they come home and they hang out in their bouncer, but then they fall asleep in the swing and they sleep in there for an hour and a half. And just kind of hearing all throughout the day they're in these containers. And for me, that was just really eye-opening because it's like, it sounds like, oh, you just put your baby in a container all day and that's it. But really, for me, what it means is those really small amounts of time spent in containers and how that starts to add up throughout the day.
0: It's so much more than don't put your baby in a container, right? Like there are so many things that go into why we as parents Even consider these devices such as the stroller, the car seat, carriers, walkers, all these things that are considered containers. And I like what you said, Amira, because it does. It adds up throughout the day. You don't realize how often you're putting your kid in a container in a sense where you just think, oh, I need to just quick here. I'm going to clean the house quick here. I need to go do this. I need to keep the baby contained for safety reasons, for a variety of reasons. So again, we're not here saying throw everything out, never put your baby in a container because that's just not realistic. I'm here to tell you, I I had a walker. I had the Mamaru. I just limited the amount of time that Luke was in there and made sure that he had enough freely moving moments in the time. So I think what I'd like everybody to think about is really hold that freely moving moments because when they are confined in a container, you are limiting that movement. And over time, that could impact muscle integrity, strength, tone, all these things that could not support development rather than hinder it. So again, we're not saying everything you've bought is horrible. Go sell it. Go take it away. Like what we're saying is be mindful of freely moving moments throughout the day for your child.
2: So I know we've kind of mentioned a couple of examples for various containers, like walkers, like car seats, swings, jumperoos, bouncers, exasaucers, high chairs would be another one that I think a lot of people might not necessarily think could be a container, but it definitely can, as well as strollers. And Danielle, I'm going to go back to you because I know there's another piece of equipment that you just brought up that some people might not consider to be a container. Can you share a little bit about that?
0: So I was a kangaroo mom, for sure. I had all the carriers, the slings, everything, the Lullaboo Soothe shirt, my baby was always on me. So again, people might not be mindful that having your baby in a carrier or strapped to you all day is a container, but it can be. So what I would do was there would be times throughout the day, especially when Luke was very young, like during the first few weeks of his life, where he did spend a lot of time in that kangaroo care. But I was also very mindful to take him out of those slings, out of those carriers and put him on my chest, on the floor, on the couch, in a variety of positions. Because oftentimes Luke would fall asleep in my carrier. In fact, it would be the only time that my baby would actually sleep for these brief moments in time when he did nap. And I've heard this a lot from other parents as well. Like, well, he only sleeps if I'm in the carrier. He only sleeps if I falls asleep in the swing. So again, it's being mindful that yes, it is this sense of loving nurture. And I am a hundred percent pro like kangaroo care. But again, you have to embed those freely movable moments throughout the day for your baby to be able to stretch out, to be able to explore where their bodies are in space to be able to just feel all of the things that they might not be able to feel necessarily if they are all bundled up inside or constricted in those type of equipment. So again, it's not saying that you shouldn't carry your baby all the time, or you shouldn't put them in a stroller or walker or high chair. What what it's saying is really be mindful, be mindful that the baby can't stay there all day. Because first off, they'll really, they'll never want to leave. I know Luke never wanted to leave my carriers or stuff. They're so comfy. It's also a great way to promote breastfeeding and all these other things. But again, shifting and just having those moments where you are carrying, and then you're allowing the child those free moving moments.
1: I think this is why it's also important to get a sense of what the daily routine looks like because then we're able to say, okay, so instead of being in the bouncer during this time, let's try to be on the floor. So just kind of going back to how it truly does add up throughout the day, that's why I always like to ask that question during an evaluation or during that first session so that I'm able to give them some alternative positions instead of being in the container.
2: I think that is huge. Again, because I think a lot of times our families might not realize how much time their child is actually spending in a container when you add it up over time. And Amira, I love that you always bring it back to the importance of the family routines and really learning what it is that they're doing and then how we best can kind of support them with alternatives and different tips and tricks to really support our families the best way that we possibly can. And and always going back to that moderation piece, right? We're not saying that all containers are bad, but we're saying if your child spends too much time in a container, that it can have an impact on their development. So I'd love to just dive into a little bit about some of the things that we've seen with some kiddos that might have spent too much time and and why we think container syndrome and, and having our children be in containers can potentially be harmful. So Danielle, I'll start with you. What has stood out to you throughout your practice as some of the things that you've seen? because of containers and how it's impacted development.
0: One of the things that stands out to me is when babies spend too much time in exosaucers or walkers. And what I see is I see the extension of the feet and they're just up on their toes. Because most often these containers don't have the adjustable height component that actually provides the child with that Flat foot from the start so that when they're in these containers, when they're in the walker, they're up on their toes. And what that does is that creates a tightness all throughout the calf and the leg. And it can also increase the tone. And then what happens is when you go to take them out of the container, that is a reflection for, you know, decreased walking abilities or writing reactions or all these other things that can occur when you're spending too much time upright, especially when your body isn't ready to be upright. So you think about it, kids aren't really supposed to walk until around their first birthday. Some walk a little sooner, some walk a little later, but this is why when we put babies in like jumperoos or walkers and other containers similar to that, that we see they're in there before their bodies are ready to handle that type of weight bearing. And that can impact their gross motor development across a lifespan.
1: I also think it, I know it impacts their body awareness and just really understanding where their body is in space. I think that's what I've seen a lot of. And just like you said, Danielle, that they need that to develop in order to start with the gross motor milestones and walking and pulling to stand or going back to crawling. When you're, when you spend time on the floor, your muscles and your joints, they're getting that input. They're getting that proprioceptive input. That is really good to help with that body awareness. So I see that a lot of the times too, those delays in development, especially in crawling, walking and pulling to stand because they lack that body awareness and just understanding where their body is in space.
2: And also kind of going more to car seats or maybe more of like the inclined bouncers or some sort of a sensation to the back of the head or the side of the head. We can also see some plagiocephaly or some flat head syndrome or torticollis also develop as well. When they're in these containers and in positions, especially a lot of times if they're in there for a long time and the child just kind of starts to melt into a position that is really not the great position for them. And then all of a sudden they're spending increased time in this position. We can really see it continue to have an impact on the shape of the head, as well as the strength of the neck and all the way down the spine. There's a lot of things that really can be impacted from the use of containers, whether it is something that you're using on a very, very young child where they're more more or less laying down in it, or kind of what Danielle, you were saying, when the child is actually in more of an upright position, but might not necessarily be ready for that movement, developmentally ready, or just ready in general to be able to kind of sustain that position for a long period of time. So Amira, I want to go to you on this point. Today, there is so much marketing, there are so many ads being thrown at our families. And especially if you walk down your local store, you will see that this piece of equipment promotes gross motor development. This equipment promotes sensory development. This is good for enter whatever developmental milestone that they they might be considering at that moment. And I'd love to get your take a mirror on how you approach this with your clients when you walk in and you notice that they have all the containers and they have all the toys from their local store. And when you say, when you started educating them about container syndrome and how potentially it can be harmful. How do you approach this with them?
1: First of all, I think that this is a fantastic area that OT should be involved in because when I go down those aisles and I read what's on the packaging, I always wonder, like, where did they get that? (laughs) Because it is not quite true. And I think that that is exactly what makes this conversation so difficult to navigate with parents because they do think they're being helpful. And, you know, generally parents want the best for their children. They want the best equipment and the best toys. So to come in and tell them, I know you just spent $200 on that, but that doesn't actually help with gross motor development. That's really difficult for parents to hear. And that's difficult for me to say, because again, I know they did that out of the, you know, goodness of their heart and genuinely wanting the best for their child. So that marketing, it just uh, that that's an area that really stresses me out because it just makes my job so much harder to then have to go tell that, you know, to parents. And some parents will say, well, you know, they got like the the door jumper. I've seen the, the jumper a lot. And Before I was in OT or or knew anything, I thought, oh, that's fun. You know, that looks really fun to do for a child to jump around. And now that I know, you know, the stress is being placed on their joints and they're not ready for that jumping. And the parents will say, well, I thought it was helping their legs strengthen because they're having to push up off the ground. So isn't that a part of strengthening? And I'm like, not quite, you know, and just having to explain what they thought. And well, how can we strengthen their legs not being in the jumper? And that kind of leads into our goals and our treatment and different things like that. But that's one I've heard is, you know, they think that these items are strengthening and they're doing like the exact opposite because the kids are not able to activate the muscles that they need, you know, especially their core muscles. A lot of those containers are they just they're not activating any of the muscles that they need in order to meet those gross motor milestones. So we really spend some time talking through what the parent thinks that container is helping and how can we actually help and what kind of strategies and exercises can we focus on together. But again, I just I always acknowledge like I know that you did this because you thought you were doing the right thing, but let's talk together and figure out other ways to support your child's development.
0: And I think Amira, you bring up a really good point about how the parent is just trying to do what's best for their child. And I think, in society, with the ways that company markets, the company's number one goal is to make money. So they are going to make their equipment look as developmentally friendly as possible, because there are a lot of parents that are first time parents. They don't know. They're not therapists. They don't have a background in child development and the way that the body grows and what is necessary for support. But what they're seeing are floods of commercials, floods of advertisements that say, get this for your baby's development. Do do this and this will help spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on all of these things and your baby will grow and develop beautifully. And that couldn't be more farther from the truth. And I think that's a really big point of advocacy that OTs can do when we can really just support and saying, no, these companies are very inaccurate. Their number one goal is supporting profit. And our number one goal is supporting development. And I think that leads into a really other good point that there are other cultural, religious, home environment aspects that come into play as to why parents would use containers in the first place. So again, we talk a lot about supporting our parents, but this society is very big on that mom shaming culture. And that's why as therapists, we can't go in there and say, do this, don't do that. It's more where let me understand why you're using these containers. Let me understand why this is helping you in your family and in your daily routines so that we as early intervention practitioners can help provide alternatives in terms of try this, maybe try this instead of doing this. So never, making the family feel that because they've chosen to use these various types of containers, that they are being quote unquote, a bad parent, but empowering them with the knowledge that they might not have had and helping to walk a mile in their shoes and understand why they're even using these types of materials in the first place.
2: And I think also, outside of maybe some of the cultural reasons or religious reasons, we also have to keep in mind the home environment. Maybe there is a lack of space or there's not a dedicated space that the child can be placed on the floor and outside of a container. Maybe there could be some potential limited mobility by the caregivers where they can't get down to the floor and they need to be able to lift that child up or be in something for their own ergonomics and for their own ability to be able to provide support for their children. I think some of the other things that pop up are other kids in the home. And maybe there's a safety reason that people feel like that they can't put their kids directly on the floor and they have to put them in a container. And also, if you're living in a multi-generational home or you happen to be living with other families all within the same home environment, whoever, like the homeowner, might not want you to be putting your child on the floor. So there's a lot of other reasons that we have to consider and take into consideration when we are going in and see all the fancy bells and whistles of all these containers. And again, I love what you said, Danielle. It's not about shaming them. It's really about understanding the why behind what they're doing, what their reasoning is, and then, of course, continuing to empower and educate the families about why this can be potentially harmful. I think one of the biggest reasons that I've seen within my clinical practice is a lot of parents will use containers as a pacifier and they don't realize that that's the reason that they're doing it, but they have discovered that their child will only sleep in a certain container or they're only happy when they're put in this position and tummy time is difficult or being on the floor is too overwhelming for them. And I think really getting down to that root of the why that it's happening and the why that they are putting their child in the containers for the amount of time that they are, I think is so beneficial to guide our practice and who we are as occupational therapy practitioners. Amira, are there any other considerations that you found in your practice that we need to be more mindful of as practitioners?
1: Going back to what Danielle was saying about the marketing on the different types of baby equipment that's out there, I think there's this thought that the more expensive something is, the better it is for your baby. And just going back to the roots of who we are as early intervention OTs, we know that's not the case because we don't advocate to have expensive toys and equipment in the home because we know that much of what we're able to do with those expensive toys, we can do with things that we find around the home. So, you know, if I have a parent and they say something like, well, they highlight kind of the cost of it is what I've encountered is, well, whew, this was $300 and I'm so excited that I was able to buy it for my child and it has to be great. And again, going back to why this is a difficult conversation to say that, well, you don't actually need that $300 container because all the skills that you need to work on, you can do on the floor, which is free. So I think just going back to who we are as EIOTs and really highlighting, you don't need fancy equipment. You don't need fancy toys. We can use exactly what you have in the home. And I think that a lot of parents really appreciate that when we bring that in because they know that going forward, they don't have to spend a ton of money, whether they have it or they don't, they don't have to do that because we're there to show them other ways that we can support that development.
2: So today we dove into containers container syndrome, and what they are, their impact, and other considerations that we need to be more mindful of as practitioners. We talked about the importance of routines and figuring out the why behind parents are utilizing various containers throughout their day. And one of the big things that I just wanted to highlight one more time and just reiterate is it's not about parent shaming, and it's not about telling them do this and don't do that, but really it is about empowering them to try this try this out and see how it works. And if it doesn't, continue to provide other supports and other strategies to help encourage the parents to continue to support their child throughout their development. It really is about educating and empowering the parents as well as to support their children as they develop. As you can tell, there's a lot to be said about this topic and about containers and why they're used, how they're used, and all that stuff. I think we could continue this for multiple episodes, and we will be doing some follow-up episodes on this topic, specifically addressing some of the strategies that we can do, as well as our role as occupational therapy practitioners. And even in the recording in this episode, one of the things that kind of came up on our end was discussing the actual name of, of container syndrome and really what that means and what kind of impact that can have so stay tuned we will be doing some follow-up episodes on this topic so we want to hear from you what are your thoughts about the use of containers and what have you experienced as an early intervention practitioner you can reach us at therealots.com or on instagram at therealots of ei we're so excited you joined us today check out our website therealots.com for more information about anything discussed in the episode and sign up for our email list so you don't miss out on any of our awesome EI resources.
1: And join our amazing community of students and practitioners to get your questions answered and learn from others working in early intervention.
0: Whether you're in the car, on your lunch break, or signing in to your next virtual session, thanks for keeping it real with the real OTs of early intervention.